Superman is not real. <laughs> I know that's shocking. Some of you may already know that. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's true. Yeah. But it was shocking and disturbing news to Jeffrey Canada when he heard this from his mother one day as a child. He remembers being scared, wondering who would save him when he was in trouble. As he was growing up on some pretty tough streets, he wondered who would come after him. And he had, had read through the comic books and had uh, watched the TV and, and uh, the movies about Superman. And he really expected Superman to come for him. And so he was devastated, like Nate, that this is not actually the case. Spider-Man, yes. Superman, no. I'm sorry. Canada and his whatever-it-takes philosophy of education have been the subject of a relatively new documentary uh, by Davis Guggenheim titled Waiting for Superman. And you might have seen this. I know uh, it has been out for a little while, and there's been much conversation about it. His claim to fame is his success with transforming a failing educational system in one of the most neglected and, and seemingly hopeless neighborhoods in the nation. I first heard his name while watching TV one day and there was a commercial, I think it was a credit card commercial and it was showing him and he was uh, looking at a map of Harlem and he was talking about how they were winning over Harlem one block at a time and he showed how many blocks they had been able to reach into with this uh, way of education and then he pointed to the others that they still had to go to and I, I thought, wow, that's a great model for church as well. Then I saw the documentary earlier this year and was further intrigued by the content. And just this past month, the Community Foundation of Shreveport uh, hosted Mr. Canada for a luncheon. And I attended it and I, again, was stirred by what I heard from him. One thing that he said that has stayed with me, and it's, it's really haunted my thoughts, is, is what he learned after he became someone who was important. And he tells a funny story about always making fun of 60 Minutes and the people who go on 60 Minutes and think they're, you know, they're giving an interview and they're going to be represented in a, in, a, in a very wholesome manner and then they always flip the story around and make them look bad. And he said, I always laughed at them and thought, I'll never go on 60 Minutes. And then before long, he realized that uh, Ed Bradley was knocking on his door and wanted to interview him for 60 Minutes. And he said he was really nice until the camera started rolling and he pulled the glasses down on his nose and began to look at him and do pretty much the same thing to him. But he said that meeting national leaders led him to the chilling realization uh, that he was wrong in thinking there was a plan to fix the rapidly deteriorating education problem in America. And he said, over the course of the last seven years, I've met with a few secretaries of education, a few secretaries of labor, uh, even Oprah, uh, a couple of presidents. And he says, you, and do you know what? There isn't a plan. In fact, when they meet with me, they ask me, what do you think? I say, why are you asking me? You mean there is no plan? And again, that is something that has stayed with me and makes you wonder late in the night about what's really going on in our nation, in our world. No one had the fix. No one had the answer. There was no Superman coming to the rescue. It was such an awareness that led him to make a plan, at least for his own neighborhood. He took responsibility 
for the problems that he saw around him and decided to do something about it. As we hear the words of Jesus in the parable here today, it is possible that we too get a little bit stirred. Every time I read this or every time I hear it uh, preached or uh, hear someone talking about it, there is that stirring uh, thought process that goes through the soul as you begin to find yourself in the midst of this parable that Jesus is teaching. And we all come out at different places at different times, don't we? We all think about it in different ways depending on our circumstances. And we come to that realization that there is no plan for this world than us. That God has called us to be the servants in this world. And He has invested much in us and much for us to give. To understand how the audience around Jesus that day heard this, we do need to get a feel for the context and to understand things about the setting and the, the culture and the words that Jesus used. We hear talent and we automatically think about what? We think about personal ability. We think about giftedness and the things that we have to offer. And if you've been in a Baptist church for many years in your life, you think about money and you think, oh gosh, it's a financial stewardship uh, sermon that he's getting ready to preach and, and I'm going to go ahead and hide my checkbook or hide my money a little bit deeper in my pocket. But don't worry, we'll get to that one later. <laughs> but they heard this word as money, as lots of money. A talent in their time equaled about 15 years of wages. And so this was a lot of money that, that was being given out. It was extremely generous for the master to give this to the servants to go out and to invest. And I love the way that this translation that we heard today, the uh, NRSV, uh, puts it in terms of not necessarily just faithfulness, but trustworthy. To his trustworthy servants, he had, had entrusted them with great amounts of money. And it is also good to understand the, the fact that Jesus is at the, at the time near the end of his life. That's where Matthew positions this in his gospel. Jesus has already come into Jerusalem. Jesus is in the last week of his life. And as he is in that time of his life, he is confronting his own religious system with a truth so naked that they would ultimately crucify it. There was tension in the air as Jesus told yet another parable to the people around him. There have been many different interpretations of this parable, as I'm, I'm sure there were then too. Just minutes after Jesus told it, I am sure there were all kinds of, of different views about it. We continue to scratch our heads and we wrestle with what Jesus really must have been saying here. I think the primary point Jesus made here was for the crowd to understand that they, as children of God, had an enormous responsibility entrusted to them one seldom realized in the history of their nation and in their own religion. Prophet after prophet would come to them telling them that they had missed the point. And we've looked at that already. As we've already learned from the recent text in just this last month, they were to be a source of justice and light to their nations. They were to be at work in the vineyard of God's kingdom, producing fruit. And this was something that was... Uh, deep in their culture and deep in their understanding as they would gather together for worship. They were to be at work. But as prophets before Him had done, Jesus stood before them with the bold truth, clothed in a story that really had an extended release effect in their life, in their lives. And, and obviously Matthew, as he's sharing it 
uh, years later with his audience. It had an effect upon them and it has an effect upon us today as we come to the realization that this story has power and it has force in our lives. They had been entrusted with much but had done very little. The ideas of responsibility, trust, and risk come to mind on a day like today and from this past week as we remember the veterans of our nation. It is on this day that we honor them for their tremendous risk, the responsibility they have felt and with which they have faithfully served our country. We realize that this responsibility has not been easy and that doing one's duty, if not resulting in physical death, can leave one with ongoing physical and emotional wounds that make normal living, whatever that is, impossible at times. We remember the responsibility taken and the price paid, especially with our friends here today from the Veterans Center. And as we gather again next Sunday night in, in honor of their graduation from that program, we remember these things. We can see how they understood that they were the plan for our nation's defense and they served accordingly. The religious leaders of Jesus' time weren't so wise uh, as this to their calling. They had not been as faithful. Before singling them out too much today, I wonder how we would fare if Jesus were in our midst today. I mean, how would we feel as we heard Jesus tell this story? Where would we find ourselves in the midst of the story? I mean, which one of these servants would you identify with the most? I guess we really have this opportunity because this story made it into our Bible, into our Scripture. And it is there for us to read and to hear and to think about much in our lives. We can consider these uh, really on, this parable really on two different levels. I think about it in terms of a church. And also I think we can think, think of it in, as individuals as we gather as individual followers of Jesus Christ today. Well first, how do we see our church in this story? Are we like the two servants who are entrusted with a lot and get busy investing? I think as I look around during each given week, I see that. I see people investing. And I'm not talking about finances necessarily. I'm talking about being out and investing their lives. Or we like the servant who wanted to protect the investment by burying it in a safe place. I think the equivalent to a hole in the ground is where? It's under your mattress, right? You have any money shoved under there? Are we at times too worried about the future and not risking enough in the present? What does it look like for us to take the gospel with which we have been entrusted into this neighborhood and to invest it? These are questions that we must be asking as we hear this text. And we can be quick to identify positive answers. We can point to our missional ministries and say, yeah, all of them are outwardly focused. They're all out there busy doing things in the neighborhood. We could point to our outreach events and, and talk about the carnival and we had a parking lot full of people and, and lots of fun and activities and things that enabled us to get to know some new people in our community. But we must truly evaluate from time to time if we are risking enough. If our ministry is as faithful and is as risky as God really intends. And on another level, how about you as an individual? How do you see yourself here in the story? Which character do you find yourself being most like as you, you live your life out at work or in your relationships or in the classroom? How do you see yourself with this? 
How are you doing with the gospel that has been entrusted to you? A gospel that was very expensive. A gospel that God has provided us to not only understand for our own lives, but to share with others. If we are truly honest with one another here today, we would confess that we have been all three of these servants at one, one time or another. I mean, haven't we? You've probably felt like the one that really invested a lot at times. Uh, maybe you are, are more like the one who has buried your talent. You come to church and perhaps even participate on a missional ministry team. But maybe, maybe you're holding back. You aren't sure about the future and so you're waiting for a better time to invest. You may say, well, I, I don't have any talents and if I do, I really don't know what they are. And I've had that conversation not necessarily with any of you, but I've had that conversation with people who take a spiritual gifts inventory and fail it. I don't know how you do that. They say, I don't have, God did not give me any talents at all. And that is so wrong. God, I always say, He's given you one, and I'm going to tell you what it is. Uh, and I usually find like, you know, the, you know, wherever, they, wherever we're not needing someone, we fit them into that category. <laughs> because if they're breathing, then we find a place for them. But this is something that, that they may say. And if this is you, understand that talent here that Jesus is talking about is not your ability. It is your availability. It is how you're presenting yourself to God. Or maybe you're like the, the one of the other two servants that you're feeling pretty good about things right now. You've taken God's plan seriously and responsibly and you're making investments. When those at times that are out of your comfort zone are, and risky, they keep coming your way, but you keep investing in them and you keep doing things that God has called you to do. And I think for us as a church, we have gotten out of our comfort zone in so many ways. And I see so many of you uh, every day getting out of your, every week getting out of your comfort zone. And I could just make a long list of how that's done each and every week. You lose sometimes but you gain much at other times as well. And that's the way this whole investment thing works, doesn't it? You don't always see a gain right after you do something. And, and there are different kinds of ministry where you invest yourself and you don't ever see anything for years and years to come. And we celebrate those times when we do something and then automatically see uh, something that comes out of it, fruit that is born out of our efforts. But it's not always the way that we want it to be. But God called us to be faithful. You believe that God will handle the outcome and you are doing your part if this is you. And, and, I, and if it is you, I say keep up the good work. Know that it is the kind of faithfulness that God rewards and expands. Have you ever been to a, a funeral and they'll, the pastor at the end will read the verse that is similar to this and where, where the master comes and he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. I've done a lot of funerals in my life, and, and sometimes it's hard to be able to quote that text uh, over a particular person's life. I mean, those, those are substantial words, and, and uh, I, I want to make sure that I'm living the kind of life where that could be said of me when I get to heaven, to where I hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You didn't bury what I gave you. You got out and you used it, and you produced something, and you, you made something with what I gave you. And I really don't think there's any point of argument there to say, well, but you really didn't give me much. Or, or, or you, you're a hard and unjust God and, 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 and you really do a lot of things that push people out of their comfort zones and I just didn't really feel like that was the wisest thing for me to do with my life at that time. But see, that's not the way it works out. 
He looks for our faithfulness. He looks for our faith. And this mention of rewards leads us to recall what we heard last Sunday, that there is a day of accountability for us. Again, I'm not referring to your salvation, as I do not believe that the Bible and, and, and that Jesus presented this idea that you have to work for your salvation. That is not what I am talking about, and I don't think that is what the Gospels reveal to us either, because I believe that, that Jesus provided that for us, and that God loved us so much in the midst of our sin that He has provided for our salvation. What Jesus' words here remind us of is a God who holds us responsible for what we have done as well as what we have not done with His plan for the world. We will stand before God and give account for our faithfulness, whether we have been busy with what we have been given or if we have buried it beneath our fears, our misunderstandings of God, our distractions, or maybe our thinking that we have a better plan than God's. The youth trip to Lake Providence yesterday reminded me that God's plan is still alive. It was exciting and inspiring to be with them as they made a difference in one of the poorest cities in the nation just by painting a house that has been set aside for the sole purpose of being the presence of Christ there in that city. I didn't see Superman or Superwoman, uh, though they seem, these kids seem to have the same energy source uh, and uh, we had to get the kryptonite out a couple of times as they were rolling down the hill. They didn't even claim to have great ability to paint a house. But what they did have was availability. They used their energy, their time, and their skills for the glory of God. They invested their talent faithfully, and their actions remind us today to do the very same. Jim Wallace, the editor of Sojourners magazine and a Christian activist for justice issues, uh, evangelical, uh, author of many wonderful books, he wrote in his book, God's Politics, about Lisa Sullivan, whom he described as the best street organizer he ever knew. Uh, she had dedicated her life and her Ivy League education to the youth on the streets, and she was busy putting together a youth program to be able to implement when she died early from a heart ailment, I think early in her 40s. But Wallace ended his book, God's Politics, with a phrase that she said so often. He said that when people would complain, as they often do, that we don't have any leaders today, or they would ask where the Martin Luther Kings are now for our time, Lisa would say, we are the ones that we have been waiting for. As we consider the words of Jesus this morning, we can go back home or go back to our workplaces or back to our neighborhoods, back to our uh, relationships and schools, knowing that we are the plan that we've been waiting for. We are the plan that God has been waiting for, the one sent out by the Master. Now let us be faithful with the much that we have been given. God, we thank You for entrusting us with all that You have. And we may look at our lives and say, I haven't been given much. And if we say such a thing, God, we are in great error. You have provided us with Your love, with Your grace, and with resources beyond our imagination. 
God, help us to realize our responsibility and to be those who are faithful. Amen.